Hi, and welcome to Your Velvet Ashes Legacy Podcast. This month, Sarah and I are here with you. Hey, Sarah. Hey. And we have a really special episode today. In fact, we're doing this um, just kind of an introduction to let you know about what we are bringing you this month. Sarah, talk a little bit about who we're getting to talk to this month. Yeah, well, this is our first topical discussion and we actually had two different conversations. So you get to hear from two different women who are on the field and we're talking about women in leadership. So we got to talk with Junia, who is a single woman who's been serving on the field a long time and uh, serves as an area director. And then also Caitlin, who is in leadership with her husband. So I love that we get to bring these two different perspectives to this really important conversation. And I just encourage you to listen in. It's maybe a little bit longer this month, but you got a whole month to listen to these two women and just be inspired by their stories of courage and leadership in all of its forms, whether that's up front or serving quietly in the background. We hope you'll be inspired as you listen in this month to your Velvet Ashes Legacy Podcast. All right, let's get to the interviews. Hey, everybody. Welcome to season two of the Velvet Ashes Legacy podcast. We're here with our very first um, topical offering for you this month. We're really excited about that. I'm Denise Beck, Executive Director of Velvet Ashes. I'm here with Sarah Hilkeman. Hey, Sarah. Hey, everyone. And we have a special guest with us to talk about this month's topic of women in leadership. And um, I'd like to welcome Junia to our conversation. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. We're so excited that you joined us. Junia, you are serving in Eastern Europe and you are serving in a leadership capacity. And I'd love for you to just um, talk to us a little bit about that today. It's it's something that I think is interesting, just the dynamic of women in leadership. There's so many different facets and ways we could go with this. But one of the other things that is interesting that you bring to this topic is that you are serving in a leadership position as a single. So I would love for you to just introduce yourself to the community, talk a little bit about your your role in leadership, and, and then I'll just, I'll ask you some questions around that, but just introduce yourself a little bit to our community. Sure, I would love to. Um, I, I'll just start by saying that I'm probably more surprised than anybody else that I'm doing what I am doing right now. Um, I first came to the field, um, I guess it's been almost 14 years now, and I planned on staying for two years, ended up staying for much longer than that. So the fact that um, God has led in such a way that I am serving in the role that I am and being being able to be a part of what I'm able to be a part of, it's a huge privilege and it's and there's a you're right there's a lot that I could say about just the things that I get to be a part of but then also the leadership role that comes with that so I do serve um, over in Eastern Europe and my role is serving and overseeing teams and ministries in my area okay so when you joined the field and for that two-year stint that you thought you were going to join did is it the same organization did, were you is this a consecutive growth with one plat, like organization Yes. And it's been a great fit for me with this organization. It's been like, even when you talk about women in leadership, I have felt nothing but supported, empowered, and almost championed through, through this organization. 
Honestly, that was one of my questions that I wanted to ask <laughs> you about because I feel like so you also serve in a Muslim context, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct. So so in general, there's so many different things that could be pushing against you as a leader. Um, that could make it challenging and difficult. And so I, I love hearing that you said your experience has been has been really positive. But are there certain challenges, even that you personally wrestled with, maybe early on when you were asked to take those next steps in leadership? You know, I assume it wasn't just all of a sudden, here, you're in charge of teams and all of these things. Were there gradual steps that led you to this um, path and what were challenging about those things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I would say a couple of things come to mind when I've had heard other people mention the role that I'm in now. They would say things like it's a shepherding role, it's a pastoring role, even a leading role. And anytime anyone used those words, I was like, I can't do that. I'm not a shepherd. I'm not a pastor. And I'm not even meaning to make a theological statement. Maybe I am. But even those Mm. words, I just did not, I did not relate to those words. But I've just been, but my heart is for the Lord. And my heart is to empower other people to strengthen teams. I want to see, I want to see churches planted everywhere. I want to see teams thriving. I want to see people thriving. I want to see people come to the Lord, see them come to know the Lord. And so those types of things were coming out. So I found it really important to, kind of changed my framework and how I thought about my role mm-hmm. um, when be- being invited and asked to step into leadership positions, thinking of it more as serving, servant leading, thinking of it as coaching, thinking of it as empowering. Those things really helped me. Um, so when I, when I thought of it, when I think of it in those terms, it helped me to step into it more than thinking of it in terms of how most men would probably look at it. Mm-hmm. Sarah, I know that, you know, you served on the field in a single context and in some leadership positions. What are those issues and questions that, you know, maybe are applicable to a single wrestling with this leadership role? Yeah. Well, one of the things I was thinking about and would love to hear your perspective on this, Junia, it can be difficult as a leader to have a way to process things Mm -hmm. and, particularly as a single, if you're married, you might be able to do that with your spouse, you know, to be able to bounce ideas off of them and, or process after, you know, you've gone through a meeting or something. And so what have you found in being able to process things? What has that looked like as a leader, but also as a single leader? Yeah. A single leader who is an external processor. Mm, (laughs) So, yeah. So this is, this has been one of the biggest challenges for me um, as my, as my, as the leadership responsibilities have grown over the last couple of years of trying to figure this part out. Um, one thing that I have tried, the principle that I've tried to live by is I think of Jesus, who was also single. Um, he, he had his relationship with the father, which was his number one. And then he had three close friends and then he was pouring intentionally his life into 12 and so I, I do try to have three people at all time that times that really know me, that are asking me hard questions, that are kind of pursuing me because I'm often pursuing other people in my role. And so that's something that I really look for. But it's hard because it's 
as being on the field, the only constant on the field is change. So those mm -hmm. three people change. And I've had times where those three people are with me in the same city, in the same neighborhood. I even had that two of the three in the same neighborhood. But for example, during COVID, all of them left. So it's, it's trying to figure, it's trying to figure that out again. And so that's, that's one principle that I've, I've had to, had to really be intentional about, but it is one of the biggest challenges for me by far is trying to figure that out because it's not just processing. It's also knowing who I can process with because so many of the things are confidential. Um, sure. But that, that has been something to, to try to figure out. You know, the three that you mentioned, are those three on your team? Or have you found that you find those outside of your team? I find I can have close friendships with people on my team and that I'm serving and overseeing. But as far as the three that I'm mentioning, I'm actually thinking outside of that mm -hmm. just because mm -hmm. I feel like I need somebody who I, it's, yeah, it's better for me to, for them to be outside of the team and outside of my ministry context. Yeah. I, I felt when you were saying that I, I was thinking about the complications of, you know, being able to process things with people whose the decisions directly affect that, that makes, that makes it challenging. When I was serving, um, my husband was team leader. And one of the things somebody told me early on was it's, it's lonely at the top. And I wonder, do you find that, do you find that it's lonely or have you been able to, with these, you know, 12 and three foster really great relationships? No, I, so I remember somebody saying, yeah, it's that leadership can be ice. It's, it's isolating. And I'm like, mm -hmm. well, I think it, like, yes, I'll say it this way. It's lonely, but I try everything I can to not make it isolated. That's the mm -hmm. word I would probably use. So I think leadership being in a leadership role, there are by the nature of it, there are really lonely moments when you're having to make decisions and process through things. Um, but I try as much as possible to not be isolated, which is really hard to do. And it's, it's extremely difficult to do. So I would say yes to your question. There are definitely lonely moments. There's lonely times. Um, but I would just, one thing that I'm trying to do and I try to help other people to do that I talk with is to try to differentiate or try to distinguish between the idea of isolation and loneliness. Because I feel like sometimes people put those things together. Mm. We're all called to be in community especially absolutely. everybody, including leaders. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that I was curious about is you have indicated you've had a really great experience with being a woman who is asked to lead, but that's not always the case that there are other, you know, churches, sending orgs, teams that may wrestle with that idea of women in leadership. Have you, um, I don't know. Would you have any advice for people that maybe find themselves sitting as a woman being asked to lead and who are coming against, you know, some pushback, maybe being in a room, but not feeling like you're being taken seriously or other people's men who are in the room, um, not knowing how to lead well in partnership with you. Have you any advice for people who might find themselves in situations that aren't as, you know, welcoming as you have found yourself in? It's a good question. I feel like I'm not the right person to give that because that has not been my experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. The only thing that comes to mind for that is just try to help people think kingdom minded. That's one mm -hmm. thing. That's the first thing that comes to mind. The other thing that helps me is I, I do put a difference between church leadership and organization leadership. So that, that I think is really key. So some, I think, 
some people don't do that, but I think some people haven't even thought of it mm-hmm. in those terms. And so if you're yeah. within a, a, a mission organization, really challenge people to, to think about that. Is it, if, even if let's say they're against like female elders or female pastors or something like, or something of that context, but really leaning into that and saying, why would you be against a female, you know, area director or regional director or the CFO, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know if they would find a good theological answer for that. That's a really great point. I love that distinction. And, and you know, even going into this call, we recognize that a lot of our community are going to have different opinions and um, convictions about egalitarian, complementarian, mm-hmm. you know, conversations around the table. And yet this topic of women in leadership is still relevant and mm-hmm. to all of us as we as we interact for the kingdom. And in some cases, even, you know, as we, Sarah, have talked about women of the past that have served, there have been women that by necessity have had to step into leadership positions because there were no men to do that, you know? And so um, Lottie Moon, I'm thinking actually, is that one of them, Sarah, that, you know, Mm -hmm. was in that situation. And there's like men that are wanting to hear and no men that are there to tell. And so you find that you have these women in in leadership positions that maybe find themselves that I don't even want to be in this position. And yet Mm -hmm. here I am. And we talk about just number one, the realities of the reason Velvet Ashes even exists are there are so many more women serving cross-culturally than there are men on the field. And so following that out is you are going to have women in different categories of leadership, whether that's team leadership, whether that's leading a project, whether that's leading in some other capacity, you know, just helping people to understand how do we interact with, encourage, support, remove obstacles for the gospel and what does that look like for for women who are in those places? And so, yeah, I I totally really appreciate that distinction of even you know kingdom, organizational church, and and I feel like that's a really helpful distinction for some people who may be listening to this today. Well, and if I can just add to that, I have I have I won't say the number. I have, out of the out of the people who re- directly report to me, the majority of them are married men. And I'm, I think the majority of them are complementarian <laughs> and they've, they're fine with me being mm. their supervisor. And so you see that mm. distinction, even in how they operate in their homes is different. And they really are, they're totally fine with, with me. I'm with me. I mean, I don't know if they're fine with me, but they're fine with having a female. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. In that role. Yes. <laughs> female in that role. <laughs> so. Yes. And I, I think that um, that was another question that I had is how, how does that dynamic and that, you know, relationship work for those that, you know, report to you? And, mm-hmm. and have you had any challenges with that, that you had to overcome or work through or have discussions about, you know, I think leadership crossing genders in itself, you know, we've, we've all, even when there's men that are leading women, there are safeguards that you put into place, you know, in lots of organizations or churches, or even just, you know, your preference as a follower of Christ is like, well, we want to make sure that we, you know, protect um, different, leave the door open, always include other people in the conversation, you know, things like that. Have you um, found any of those things, ways that you, you know, operate that make people feel more comfortable or address any of those types of topics? Yeah, I, 
I remember my mentor who also was in the, one of my mentors who was in a role like I'm in now. One of the things she said to me is one of the most important things that I can do as a single female is to intentionally develop relationships with the wives Mm. of the men that I'm, I'm supervising, which I have found that to be so important. And I mean, it's a blessing to me too, because I just love spending time with them. But the reality is that I just spend a lot of time with their husbands, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, we, and we talk about strategy, we talk about, you know, vision, those types of things. And then the, the wives are at home doing the real holy work of, you know, spending time with the kids <laughs> and doing those types of things. So I just, I found that that was one of the most helpful things somebody told me to stepping into this that was, that I've tried to put into practice and has been really, yeah, it's been really helpful. And then, I mean, and there's limitations, like I'm, because I'm not male, I'm not going to be asking the same questions that maybe I would that mm. to, to like another male that if I, if I were the same gender as him, but yeah. at the same time, I can be more personal with more of the women. And like you said, there are more, there are more women on the field and I don't know the percentage anymore, but there's a lot of single females. Yeah. <laughs> so there really yeah, so, are. Right. So there's just like anything else, there's advantages and disadvantages to it. Junia, you mentioned having a mentor um, mm-hmm. and sort of being mentored in this process. What was the most encouraging in that mentorship process or the most helpful for you in getting to where you are today? It's interesting because I, I automatically think of multiple mentors <laughs> and mm. And this kind of goes back to the organizational question, Denise, that you asked earlier. One of the things that meant most to me is that I was asked to speak at like a training event. And it was the first time that I ever spoke at a training event. And I went in to speak to these outgoing um, workers that were going to go to the field. And there weren't any other trainers that were in the room. Like it was just me with these 40, with Mm. these 40 candidates. (laughs) And I remember thinking, wow, there's so much trust there. They don't have any idea what I'm going to say to these people. But, but I think of that. And then the, the male uh, director of training afterwards, like in a way he was mentoring me. So I think of like the amount of trust that he was showing me and just trust, but then also affirmation. I found that to be just really empowering. And that's just an example of how I felt really affirmed in my organization. And then just more directly, as far as um, mentoring, uh, one of the things I love about this woman that has been intentionally mentoring me is uh, I, she's, she's very good at pointing out blind spots, mm-hmm. <laughs> which when you ask that question, you, th- you think you want people to ask that answer your question. I mean, you really do, <laughs> but, but she was really, really good about with, like speaking the truth and love for me of just showing just some areas that I could grow in. And so, but she was really, really good about just being really intentional, but I knew that she was doing it in love and I knew she was doing it for my good and just pointing out some things for me. But I would just say there's been so many mentors that I could point to too. There's the big ones, like the one I just mentioned, that woman that's been multiple years and she's very intentional, but I also just think of others that I feel like have given me bits of wisdom and, trust along the years that I I feel like have also joined on the journey at some point. You know, sometimes, you know, outside of personal mentors, we find resources that are really helpful, like books or podcasts or things. Have you found any of those that, you know, might be helpful for other people who are feeling maybe the call or the draw toward 
taking more leadership roles, even as a woman or as a single? Yeah, I, I would highly recommend, there's a ministry that's called Shoulder to Shoulder, and they have done a lot of teaching on a theology of singleness. It's just been very, I'm going to keep using this word, very empowering for me because one, they, just, they talk about how marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. Then they also talk about how singleness is also a unique reflection of the gospel and how you can use that again for kingdom orientedness. And that's kind of the big picture of it, but it's also just showing the value of singles with married and then the whole picture of serving shoulder to shoulder. That's something that was really huge for me was being, was, was learning more about their ministry, being taught by what they were teaching. Um, and it, it just, and I've shared that I've, I have, I have shared that time and time again, uh, within different contexts. So that's, that's the first that comes to mind. Absolutely. And in that, you know, do you feel like in your team situation, you know, with, you even mentioned lots of singles on the field, are there specific resources, even, you know, if you're not called into leadership is shoulder to shoulder being one of them, you know, even if it's not resources like encouragement for people who are serving as single and some of those challenges that just come up just because you live cross-culturally in general, you know, would you have any thoughts just from your years, 14 years on the field, you know, for those of our listeners today who are finding themselves maybe not in a leadership role, but just, you know, dealing with what is it like to serve as a single? Yeah. So I, I would say, I would start big and then go small. That's my. That's the way that. And what I mean by that is, um, we know that God can be glorified in the midst of healthy marriages. He can also be glorified in the midst of a single life lived to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it's simple. But if someone is single until they're twenty or thirty or single again, you are able to use your singleness to the glory of God. And there's ways of living that out more. I, I even I. I could talk a lot about this, but I'll try to succinctly kind of put this in. But I just find it fascinating that Islam and in, and in Judaism, singleness is seen as a bad thing, but it's the gospel that ends up saying that it's good. And so even that, you just think about the power of that and you think about just how important that is for singles, but then even for marrieds to understand that more. So anyways, I would start there of just saying that my single life is... An, is something that God can use as a vehicle to glorify himself, just as marriage can be. I say that saying it can also be very difficult (laughs) to be a single on the field. I do not want to minimize that. Um, I definitely have had moments where I'm like, oh, I would just want to be married. And, (laughs) you know, why am I the one that has to make all these decisions about what I'm doing and fix my car and make my own food (laughs) and those types of things? And so... I, it is hard. I, I would just say you have to find things that are, I, I know people talk about self-care, but it's soul care. <laughs> like mm-hmm. talk about soul care that's going to help, you know, not just to be on the field, but just because you're a beloved person of God to feed into your soul. Um, and that may look different for you. To me, it's running and being in the mountains. Other people, it's, you know, cooking. But I would just say that don't be shy about prioritizing those things that are going to bring, that are going to enhance your soul. And then I would just say, be really honest about the things that are hard about being single. One of the things that drives me the most crazy is car stuff. It just, Mm. that 
you talk about overreactions on the field. I don't know anything about car stuff in America. And then I come to where I live and it just becomes more frustrating. So I, I have someone that helps me out with that. Like as soon as, as soon as my car has problems with it, I call him and he takes care of it. Our guy. And yeah. I, he's, he's gold. He's like my favorite person in the world because he does these things for me. So, but that, that's, that's what I would say about that. Can I just ask, because I, you know, was on the field as a married with family and sometimes we wanted so badly to incorporate, include our single, you know, expats that lived around us. And what would you say to people in this situation? Like, what is a good way to do that? What is an honoring way to do that? You know, not just as, you know, your only role could be to give us a date night by watching our kids. Do you know what I mean? Like what, what would be an honoring way for those who want to include singles? Well, yeah, I think, I think the pendulum has swung so far. So many married couples now are, are afraid to ask singles to look at their kids that are like, look, look, Oh, you know, having babysit for a night that they, it's almost swung too far. (laughs) So I think at least in my context, you know, so I, I just really love the word that you use as invite. And it's like, I mean, some singles, I mean, well, I even, I think of myself, it's, you know, the hardest, the hardest people for me to leave are my, my nieces and nephews. And now that I have been here for as long as I have been, it is a tremendous joy for me to be able to see kids, you know, go from being born up to and growing up here and feeling like I'm, I'm an aunt to them. You so, are. so I, I appreciate, I want to, I want to say, I appreciate, and I, I do appreciate the fact that people aren't recruiting singles anymore just to babysit their kids. Cause that is a reality that, that, that does happen. And it used to happen all the time. Um, but I would just say the whole invitation, like we are all coworkers, equal coworkers, and we're all brothers and sisters. And so as much as we can operate both as all being ambassadors and all being part of the same spiritual family, I think that's where I think that's where the sweet spot is as far as teams and uh, field life. And just kind of even building on, I know we're kind of getting away from a little bit of the topic of just your leadership, but your experience of 14 years of being on teams and things. Um, and you mentioned, you know, being a verbal processor mm-hmm. and, and are there any advice like even for, for team meetings or for the way things are run when you know that there's, there's not going to be somebody that you go home and process with, but everybody else maybe does have that. And so um, are there tips or advice for, you know, how do you run team meetings well or engage in team discussions and decisions that need to happen, knowing that, you know, I maybe need time just like you do to process this with somebody or um, I don't know, are there things that you have found helpful, even just as being a single on the field to help those team decisions, team meetings, you mentioned even we're all equal in this team, you know, um, those types of decisions, leadership, things that happen on a team, um, that could help singles not feel like just because I don't have a spouse here, I'm not given as much of a voice in decisions that are being made. Yeah. So I would say the first thing that comes to mind is as far as someone being in leadership role, that needs to make decisions and wants to hear a variety of different voices. You have to remind people of that. And I, my personality is one that if I hear an idea, I automatically think it's a good idea. I also like change. 
then I might like that's that's not always a good combination. And that's so that's a fun combination. <laughs> but but I have one of my team leaders, he always saw this as a weakness, but he just always sees what's wrong with things. Like he's the Eeyore mm-hmm. of of our like of our area, you know. And I mean it can be a weakness, but I love talking with him and he knows, he knows that I need him to tell me all the reasons why an idea will not work. Like, and, <laughs> so, and it's, we work really well together before that. So, so I think as far as, um, again, it's, it is hard to be the person making decision and you don't just want to be up in your own head and you don't want, you do want to get a variety of voices, but a lot of times you have to directly ask people and affirm people pushing back on you. So that's the first thing I would say. And then the other thing I would say, I, I remember when I was a single and I was for a long time, it was me and a married couple on the team. And that was it. And I just, oh, it was always felt like two versus one. Mm. And so, and even the way they sat, it was always on the opposite side of the room. I was on the biggest couch and they were on a small couch, like cuddling, you know, and then I would have no one next to me and I would just feel this. I would just feel like it was against me and they weren't meaning to do that. They would also say things like, oh, we, we, we thought about this for a week and prayed about it. What do you think about it? You know? Mm-hmm. And so it, so it wasn't, it just, it didn't feel very, it did not feel very equal. Um, so yeah. that's something to be really conscious of. Um, I also, yeah, that's just kind of a practical thing when people are in team meetings that it can feel, it can feel really intimidating for a single um, to speak up. Mm-hmm. And I also know I've heard that from married women as well, that they're like, it's not just my husband, <laughs> you know? So that's where yeah. asking direct questions is really important. And then I guess the last thing I would say to probably one of the hardest things for me, um, and being in the role that I'm in is if I do have a really difficult meeting, uh, I, I know that the married couples are going back and processing with them. And I feel it when the married couples leave and it's just me. That's probably the, one of the loneliest parts is that part. And so I have as much as possible given people, I have, I have some, um, some like a, like a virtual team and a prayer team that I text that I let them know that I'm going into a difficult meeting, ask them to pray. And then there's people that follow up like right afterwards, which always means a lot to me. So that's something really practical I've tried to do because that, that lull after those meetings, that is really hard. You know, what I hear you saying is recognizing where you feel a tension point and being proactive about putting things in place to help with that, you know? So like, I think as a, as a single, but as a leader, you know, where you feel a loneliness or an unbalance, you know, not just sitting in it, but working to be like, okay, how do I make changes, include other people, invite people in to help this to be alleviated. And I think that that's like a takeaway from this for anybody listening is, you know, you don't have to just sit in the uncomfortable situation, whatever that might be, but, you know, think outside of the box, be proactive in what could a solution look like. I did want to come back to the leadership um, topic and just acknowledging, you know, you mentioned you work in a Muslim context and women in leadership in Muslim context, sometimes in itself is challenging. Do you find, you know, that that has been difficult to be in that context as a leader, or really you're not interacting in a leadership role with the community so much as in the team, but just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, probably the part that I feel the most um, tension with that um, 
is within the, the believing community because we often will have meetings. I mean, the, the, the church where I live is very, very small, uh, but there are pastors and, and the vast, all the vast majority are men and the, and the church leaders are men. And then the organizational leaders are men. So there, it's very often um, in these contexts that I am the only woman in that, in that room. And so there are some, there can be some challenges with that, but I also would say there's some challenges too, if I were coming in as, as a, for, or I, I maybe coming in as an American, like as, as a white American male, there are a lot of them could be a little bit more defensive towards that. When I was in Africa, I was disregarded because I was a woman because women weren't in leadership roles and they didn't make decisions. And so if I was ever in a situation, I felt like I had to work extra hard to even be taken seriously. And I didn't know if you faced any of those types of things. I think, I think the biggest thing here that I find is in the culture is there's just a lot of objectification, maybe would be the right yeah. word for it. Just, that's probably more, and of course that goes underneath the to being taken seriously part. It's interesting. I feel like those are the two extremes. I have, I have local Muslim friends of mine who, who just think it's great to meet like a strong female personality, whatever that means. I'm still trying to understand what that means. Uh, so they're fine with it. But then you have the other extreme where there is just like, you know, a woman's place is in the kitchen. And I find where I live, because it is in Eastern Europe, it's, those things are probably not as pronounced as they would yeah. be in other Muslim contexts. But it, but it is there. But it's there's more of a variety here than there would be. And I just have to I just have to kind of look for it and see by whom that I'm I'm mm-hmm. talking with. Yeah, for sure. I, I've been so fascinated by this conversation. Um, Sarah, I don't know. Do you have anything, any other questions that I haven't already asked? Well, I'm thinking of the woman on the, f- on the field who maybe is single, uh, maybe not, but who feels this pull maybe to leadership or feels like maybe it's something they would like to grow in or um, that even God is calling them to. Do you have any encouragement for those women of, of how to grow as a leader, how to um, move into that if it is something they are feeling um, drawn to? Yeah, I, I would say the way that I define leadership is serving and influence. And so that if there's a way that whoever that person is that feels that maybe God is calling them to limit, to lead, maybe they feel like God might have given them the, the gift of leadership then find ways to serve and maybe in in whatever that context means. And that's what I would say. And then empower other people. Like to me, that's, that's the best form of leadership is actually disempowering those around the, around you to do what God is calling them to do. I love that. Removing obstacles from people so they can succeed. I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Junia, is there anything else last minute, thoughts, words of encouragement to the community that will listen to this this month that you might want to just offer based on either anything that we have talked about or just your personal experience in your 14 years of service on the field, which is just amazing, honestly, in a time when people don't look at cross-cultural service as long-term, you know, so just like pulling on your your vast um, history on the field, what, what might you say to those women who are listening this month? Yeah, I think I would just share something that's been impacting me recently. I, 
I often find myself praying for wisdom, praying for direction, not just for me, but for other people. And I feel like things change so quickly. And I'm often being like, am I doing the right thing? Are we doing the right thing? Are we going on the right direction? Um, what's the better things for us to be doing? And I, I often find myself going back to the Psalms when I feel that way. And I love the pictures that, that especially David brings of God being a refuge, of God being a rock, um, of being a strong tower. I feel that there's so often times that I have that visual when everything is around me is hard and there's challenges and you feel like you're, it's coming at you from every side, just making sure that you are being covered by the refuge that God is and making sure your feet are standing on the rock and recognizing that he's the one that's going to give you the paths to go. Just making sure you're pulling back and recognizing that and not letting the the craziness that is the world today, no matter where we are, whether it's in the States or on the field, um, not letting that become something overwhelming that you forget that you do have a refuge, that you do have a rock and you do have a, a strong place to be standing on. I love that. That's so powerful. And, and honestly, sometimes when you don't have anything but to close your eyes and just pray and, and to see an image, you know, sometimes that's all you can do and what a comfort that that is. So mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sitting with us today. Thank you for this conversation. You know, one of the things that you said, you know, just about the servant leadership, this this podcast is called the Legacy Podcast. We believe that there are women that have left such a strong legacy that we are building on. And just even in the small acts, if you are never called to be a leader, if you are helping other people succeed, if you are encouraging those people in your circles, no matter where you are, you are leaving a legacy and we are just so thankful for the legacy that you're leaving, that you're willing to just sit here and share this with us today. And, um, for those women that are going to take these words to heart and be changed by it, that we may never see this side of heaven. So thank you so much, mm-hmm. Junia, for sharing with us today. And thank you everybody for listening. Um, we just encourage you to continue doing what you're doing, grow where the Lord has planted you, encourage those people where you are and, keep living out your legacy and for those people that you are going to change that might be impacted by your legacy and they themselves will leave a legacy for the kingdom. I want to welcome you all back to our second interview this month as we continue to address the topic of women in leadership. Right now, Sarah and I are joined with Caitlin Greer. She's staying up late to chat with us. And Caitlin, we're so thankful that that you chose to stay up after a busy day to be with us today. Well, I'm happy to be here and thank you for asking me. Okay, Caitlin, you're staying up late because where are you joining us from? I live in Tokyo, Japan. Yes. And so from where we are, that is a 12 hour difference in time. So we're up early, you're up late. We've got the sun straddled here on the continent or on the globe. So one of the reasons that I was very excited and persistent about having you on is just because of your longevity, your role, the, you hate to use the word success, but the team that you are working on has experienced some really neat victories and things to rejoice over in the, Mm. you know, 15 years that you have been on the field. So before we even get into what does leadership look like for you, 
being married to the team leader. Could you just tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing? Sure. Yeah, we um, so we moved to Japan in 2008. Um, we were fresh out of Bible college and um, we'd been approached by a couple of our classmates during school um, about moving somewhere where you know they needed the gospel where there wasn't really um any christians and the idea was kind of urban unreached church planting and so uh we were still i think we were still in school and had a couple years left and so um i mean i could ramble on about this story long story short um we prayed about what city of maybe out of a list of 30 unreached urban centers, some being English speaking, some being in the country that's got the language that's the hardest for native English speakers to learn. <laughs> that's where we wound up, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, and so I had really zero interest in Japan, um, but at that time, Japanese people, you know, were the largest unreached people group. Mm -hmm. And there's all these massive cities. I'm learning, you know, as we're like kind of praying through this, that these cities I'd never even heard of and that you guys have probably never heard of, um, like Nagoya, it's the same size as like Paris. And I'm like, I've never even wow. heard of this city. Yeah, but you're right. There's these massive cities in Japan uh, with really, you know, dense population and less than 1% have ever heard of Jesus. So um we yeah we graduated we fundraised we didn't have all of our money even in and <laughs> we'd never visited japan we just sold stuff packed some suitcases and moved over there like total oh idiots goodness. so really oh that's, my goodness um we will never write a memoir probably <laughs> but um <laughs> my husband says the title will be god's mercy on cowardly idiots because that's kind mm -hmm. of the theme of our story of i love god. that yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, we truly came in as the ultimate idiots, um, but, you know, we were young and wanted to make gospels. Uh, no, not make gospels. <laughs> it's uh, sorry. Yes, I, th that will not be the only um, thing I say wrong because, well, my English is getting progressively worse the longer I live here. <laughs> it's also late at night. Make uh, make disciples and spread yeah. the gospel is what we wanted to do. So, you know, we tried all kinds of things and, um, by God's goodness, we're still here. And, um, we had a lot of ideals that eventually came crumbling down as we just mm -hmm. tried things. And like, uh, so yeah, what we do now after trying a lot of things and it not, it not looking at all, like what we've set out to do, what we're doing is, uh, planting churches that are like international kind of bilingual churches, um, which has been quite an adventure and it's been really, really hard, but God is good. And we've seen many people come to Christ and yeah, we're super mm -hmm. thankful to be doing this job here. So it didn't, um, when you set out, you know, there were a lot of ideals that, you know, you said came crumbling down, but didn't you feel like the Lord had put a, you know, timeline or you had a goal in mind of by this year, this number, we're aiming for this type of um, scenario? 
Yeah. Um, initially, I mean, we came in totally blind, you know, mm -hmm. so um, I think whatever plan we had, like we fundraised to plant a church in Tokyo. We ended up not getting to Tokyo until we'd planted churches in two other cities mm -hmm. um, and then sent out teams to plant in two cities after that. So we're like four cities in and we still haven't landed in Tokyo, which is what we thought we'd be doing. Um, but yeah, along the way, I can't remember how many years ago, um, we started praying that God would provide what we needed to plant 12 churches. So it's the 12 largest cities in Japan um, that have, they all have over a million people. Mm. And um, some of them, like Tokyo, is like 37 million people in the metro area. So, um, um, yeah, just praying that God would provide people, which that's, I mean, finances, of course, we always need finances, but finding the leaders, because mm -hmm. we're talking about leadership, finding leaders and teams and people um, willing to do this work that's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, Especially, I mean, uh, he has provided Japanese uh, teammates. Um, I mean, we started with a group of 10. Jay and I are the only two still in Japan from the initial team. Some of them, um, you know, our, our dear teammate moved back to the States uh, just a few months ago yeah. um, from that original 10. But we've got like, I think around 25 people that are on staff at our churches, you know, that are Japanese. And if you count like spouses and everybody, we've got like 70 people gathering at our staff retreats mm. now. So it's grown quite a lot. Um, but just finding people that are willing to come and try to learn how to live in Japan, um, you know, try to learn this crazy language. Um, and I'm sorry, I know that I should be a lot more gentle saying, oh, it's a beautiful language. No, it's crazy to try to learn I Japanese. Imagine. Yeah. <laughs> really hard. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's been a challenge. But by God's goodness, you know, even with COVID, like we we really, we, we don't have 12 yet, but we're getting close. Mm -hmm. And we're hoping that he will provide, as he usually does, like just enough where we're totally sweating and like this isn't going to happen and it's only going to take a miracle of god yeah. for this to actually happen um and he's we've been in that situation time and time again mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that's part of the the beauty of doing the work that we do is like you set out to do something that is truly impossible if it's only by your own blood sweat Absolutely. and tears it needs god's um you know working god's power and mm -hmm. so yeah of course it's just a goal and goals are kind of like, you know, human ideas. Um, and we, uh, but of course, we want to do this for God's glory. And if we get these 12 churches planted, then um, majority of the Japanese population can reach a gospel mm. teaching church by train. So that's what we're setting out to do. So yeah, Jay preaches in Tokyo. Um, and I have done many different things. Currently, I'm helping lead worship at the church. Um, and I'm also teaching uh, music at a private Christian school where my kids go. Um, mm -hmm. So that's my life right now. And so that, uh, that was one of my next questions was, you have kids. 
How mm-hmm. many of those do you have? We have four. Love it. It's how many I have. So I always yeah. like the four, the four kid rule. So, yeah. so when you went to the field, did you mm-hmm. have any children? No. And, um, I was like full on, you know, staff went to, you know, I was at every staff meeting. I had a very clear role of what I was going to be doing. And I loved that. And, um, I didn't really go into motherhood gracefully. Um, but I'm super (laughs) thankful. (laughs) I'm thankful for my children and I'm thankful for the, uh, sanctification that I have gone through, um, you know, through becoming a mom. And, uh, for me, I realized this massive idol of loving Mm. to be upfront. I was, you know, I was leading worship in English and Japanese, leading a band bilingually. And that was all really exciting to be able to, and it's a good, it's a good thing, right? To be like helping lead people in worship in, you know, this place where people like have not worshiped the true God that created everything. Um, But when I had to kind of pull out of that for a time, because it just wasn't sustainable for me uh, to, uh, you know, have, an infant and then another infant and then another infant and then another infant (laughs) all piled on. Um, yeah, there were seasons where I had to like train up other people and God provided what we needed. And, um, it was, it was ugly. My heart was pretty ugly for a while Mm -hmm. because I loved feeling like the leader and I loved Mm -hmm. feeling like, Ooh, I'm good at my job. And then, staying at home was you don't always feel like you're good at your job (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) yeah oh man so so you i imagine so that you're explaining that that leadership role changed in in different seasons of your life and at the same time that you're having children you are welcoming new people to be trained up and sent Mm -hmm. out what what did you feel like your role was maybe in even other women that were coming, I'm sure like by default, they're asking you questions about how do I find this and where do I go for this doctor? And you know, like what, what did your role look like in different seasons of, you know, mothering and team leading and, you know, just how has it changed? Yeah. Well, even though I came in totally clueless, there was eventually a shift where I felt like I do actually have information that I've gained (laughs) that I can share with other people. And um, this might not be what you would expect me to say, but this is is my experience. I felt like I'm seeing my, my teammates that I love going through some of the same challenges that I went through and I just wanted to solve it for them. Like, here's, mm-hmm. here's how you handle this. And I found that, um, you know, I had to be careful um, with how much I tried to solve other people's, you know, I don't even want to say problems, just challenges, I guess, mm-hmm. like trying to balance, you know, sometimes people need to just experience this and go through yeah. this without me being like, 
here's my advice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, The growth is in the struggle. Yeah. And that's a lot of God's work in our life, right? Like Mm -hmm. um, we experience challenges and we see God work through them. And I don't, I I guess I kind of realized like maybe not everybody's looking to see Caitlin's great workings, but they need to see God's great workings. Mm -hmm. And so um, trying to balance that and also trying to um, deal with the immense guilt I feel if I'm not helping Mm -hmm. to the extent that I feel like I should be helping. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I'm always like this pendulum between feeling like, oh no, did I, you know, was I too pushy or, oh no, did I not help enough with, you know, my teammate that just had a baby and, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that's really a hard challenge for me that I'm still, you know, dealing with (laughs) all the time. So when you and Jay, you know, you have experienced losses of, you Mm -hmm. even mentioned a dear friend that, you know, they've, they just left not too long ago. And, Mm -hmm. and so the pressures, I imagine, you know, you look at each other and you are, you are the longevity you have, you two are the only two that share all of the memories now of the last 15 years that are on the field together. What, what does that look like in different seasons that you, you both deciding what is your, what is your role? And, and do you have to have conversations about, I want to be asked into these kinds of conversations now, and this is not too much for me. And so I'm not, I don't want to be asked into these types of conversations. How, what does that look like to navigate that as a leadership couple about how you're, how you're involved or not involved? You mean with like things that our teammates are going through or yeah, like um, what kind of conversations? Sorry, just for clarity. Absolutely. So um, when you first came to the field, you were more mm-hmm. involved in staff and doing things um, that were ministry oriented and throughout different seasons, you've pulled back, you have re-engaged, you know, what, what does that conversation look like as you support him in his leadership role? And how do you decide when you are involved and when you're pulling back for season? And, oh yeah, that's a super good question. Um, it's tricky, right? Because, um, kind of the nature of being a pastor's wife is, um, it's challenging because there's definitely expectations. And I think for me, I don't really entertain the pressures and the expectations uh, that maybe some people feel as a pastor's wife. Um, I do to some extent, like one, the feeling that guilt of, I need to Mm. be more caring for God's people. I need to, you know, and if I'm just maxed out on time, it's, it's not something I'm able to do to the extent I want. Yeah. But um, I think that I had to learn really early on that I needed to be okay with not being in all of the conversations mm-hmm. um, because I realized um, there's conversations that um, my husband would have with people in the church that they're like, private conversations or sensitive conversations. And I had to learn to be okay with trusting him in like, if I needed to know something, then I would know it. But um, I kind of had this desire to just know all a scoop on everyone. And that's like, 
not good, right? That's gossip um, or, you know, just right. being yeah. a busybody. And so learning to let go of that and know that, you know, it's not my job to solve everything. It's not my husband's job to solve everything. Right. But there's times where, you know, people need listening ears and um, I don't always have to be that listening ear. Um, and it was a, a really tough thing to uh, for me to like not be in staff meeting, not be involved for the season where I had little kids. Mm -hmm. Um, and so just learning like to submit that to God and realize that was an idol that I had of my own performance, my own praise, wanting to feel good, um, at my job, wanting people to see me doing a good job and just like learning this is actually leadership in a different way of mm-hmm. leading my family, leading my little kids for this season. And it's very valuable and good in God's eyes. And I think that we can easily put pressure on ourselves to like do that plus this and this and this. And maybe some people can, but I couldn't. Mm-hmm. If I tried to do anything else, I just was ugly. And so. And even when I wasn't trying to do extra things besides just like taking care of my kids, sometimes I was still ugly because right. it was hard. It was so hard. Yeah. Um, and, but it's good, it's valuable and it's important for them. And that was, um, you know, I know that many people choose to do different things and um, you just have to listen to God's leading for each season. And, you know, like learning that, uh, sacrificial love and care mm. for others is actually beautiful biblical leadership. And me realizing that a lot of what I viewed as leadership and what I wanted to be involved in was my own, you know, selfish mm. ambition mm. and like vain conceit rather yeah. than being, mm-hmm. you know, full of humility and valuing others better than mm. myself. And so that's tough for me. I like being awesome at everything in front of people. (laughs) That's not what uh, Jesus did though. Right. Yeah. But I love, I love that. Thank you so much for pointing that out that, Mm -hmm. that sometimes the best leadership we can have is taking a back seat to those bright, shiny places and leading quietly in the background. I think that's really going to resonate too with so many of our listeners who don't, find themselves with the opportunity to lead up front. Um, women in general sometimes just aren't because of the places they live, you know, their, their mm-hmm. service is quiet and in the background and, you know, and that is still leadership. So one of the things just in your unique position, like you said, you are sending out leaders to other big cities. Um, what advice do you give to those wives of the lead pastors, if, if indeed they are married, you know, like, Mm. you know, as they set out to, to experience what you have, what you have done and experienced, what advice do you give them? Oh man, it's usually a little scary. Um, and, and I think that in this time in history, being a leader is very lonely. I think if that's true for all time, it's lonely. Um, but I think there's, um, with kind of our, our world climate right now, cultural yeah. climate, um, 
especially in America, but that like in our case, you know, there's, we're an international church. So you have people with all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of expectations. Um, there's no way that you can please everyone. Yeah. And there's, um, I mean, I think haters going to hate all the time. It's kind of like this <laughs> cathartic, but not biblical, but it's like somehow like helpful. Like there's, I'm a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And so I would love for my husband and I to always be pleasing everyone. Yeah. And I've just yeah. learned it's not possible. And, and being um, in leadership I don't think of myself as different, but maybe I can't help this, but other people think of me kind of differently than I realize. And so trying to have like a realistic understanding of that, where it might mean that people are a little more distant. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It might mean, I mean, this is unavoidable. Like people get annoyed at their bosses. Right. Even if they're the best boss in the world. Um, I mean, even Jesus who was perfect and sinless people out of their own ignorance, you know, turned on him. And so often, you know, it's not even the leader's fault. Sometimes it is, of course, but often people can get embittered towards Mm -hmm. their leaders. And, um, that's what's really tricky as like a lead pastor's wife is, going back to those conversations I don't get to be a part of, if I know someone has like hurt my husband, um, and then of course, to be following (laughs) uh, Jesus, you know, he will seek reconciliation as far as, you know, Mm -hmm. it, what's what's the word I'm looking for? As, As far as it can like, uh, d- depend on you. That's not the right, yeah, that's not what the yeah. scripture says, you know, the scripture. <laughs> right. um, anyway, as, as much as is possible, he seeks reconciliation always, but I'm not part of those conversations. So I have to learn to not get bitter at people who turn on my husband. Mm. And yeah. that's yeah. like super hard, you know, cause if somebody mm. is mean to someone you love, you feel that too. And that takes, um, lots of, you know, Holy Spirit, um, supernatural mm-hmm. forgiveness power oh, <laughs> that Caitlin. I can't conjure up myself. <laughs> In that loneliness that you mentioned, where do you find friendship? And and is that on the continent of Japan? Is that with expats? Is it other teams? Is it virtual? Because that is a reality, you know, like where do you find those friendships? Mm, that's tricky because there's some you know, as much as I want to just like spill and dish out all my feelings, there's some things that it would be very unwise or hurtful to others um, for me to do that. And so in some cases, there just isn't a person outside of Mm -hmm. Jesus and Jay, my husband. And that's okay. Um, I've learned the longer I've been here that the, the circle of people that I feel understand me is shrinking and you know rapidly getting smaller 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 and for me that was one of the biggest um like sacrifices Mm. um in the first few years i really missed taco bell now i don't care for taco bell i'm fine without taco bell (laughs) the 
the need to feel like you're understood by others is something that I think I'll always miss. But I think that the longer I've been at this, the more I'm okay with not being understood, knowing that, you know, we're not supposed to feel fully comfortable. We're not supposed to feel fully at home because heaven is our home and we will, we will feel fully understood in the presence of Jesus. And he does understand us now, um, Mm -hmm. but we don't get to fully embrace the joy and like um, peace yet. Um, but I, I trust that he does know. And, um, and when I'm fully cognizant of that, it also helps me with the ugly hurt that I can feel Mm -hmm. of, you know, those things that are really hard about leadership because right now with like cancel culture and words like, spiritual abuse and um i don't know just things that are really tossed out um freely it's super scary to be in leadership because no matter what if you're just trying to follow (laughs) the great commission and you're trying to share the gospel you know it it takes one person to you know really cause a lot of hurt and and you know so it's scary it's scary to bake to make big moves as you know leaders in ministry in this um day and age and so it's it's lonely but i know Mm -hmm. that um i mean the reality is like you know we we don't know what the future of our ministry is um it could change at any time we pray that God will continue to make disciples. Um, and maybe it's apart from us and, mm-hmm. and that's fine. God will continue his mission. We just want to serve him every day mm-hmm. and trust that he is with us. Um, even when it feels lonely and even when, um, yeah, when it, it mm-hmm. hurts. <laughs> sure. So. Oh, I love that. Caitlin, I feel like, so much of what you have shared will be so encouraging to women. But if if there are women out there listening to this who really feel like they want to grow in leadership and, um, you know, feel like maybe that is something God has for them, do you have any encouragement or advice for them as they are growing in, in leadership? Oh, man. Well... I don't know if I have any great wisdom to share about that, but what I can say from my own kind of journey is like the Bible is our guide. Mm -hmm. Um, And so look to what Jesus says about how to serve him and how to love him. And, you know, we see him, you know, he did not come to serve or to be served, but to serve. And so finding ways to, um, to lead in a way that, um, is full of humility and, um, and this is so hard for me. I read, I I should have pulled this up so I could actually quote it correctly, but uh, this massive gut check that I saw recently was, um, a quote from Elizabeth Elliot where it's like the measure of one's love is the measure of your willingness to be inconvenienced. 
And mm-hmm. I was like, oh gosh, I'm not really willing to be inconvenienced a lot of the time. And so oh. I think, um, I think if that is our posture, if our posture is humility and not the stage and not the pats on the back, then I think God um, will do great things. And you can see, you know, him as the true leader and him as the one who does the amazing things um, with us being his hands and feet. Um, And that's really hard because like for me, I'm, I, the things that I feel like God has gifted me in is a lot of upfront stuff. I love Mm -hmm. people. I I'm a musician, so I'm up on stage doing that. Mm -hmm. And so it's really easy for me to switch and view that as the leadership that's valuable where really Mm. it's, um, my willingness to serve others. That's going to be the true leadership, even if it's just in my family, because they are the ones who inconvenience me a lot. (laughs) And so so true. (laughs) I love them, but they're not convenient. Um, Not convenient. (laughs) Yeah. um, So, you know, it's like, I think I set out thinking I'm going to change the world for Jesus. Um, But when it gets down to it, a lot of leadership is like getting up in the morning, brushing your teeth and, you know, letting God lead you um, in those daily things that are not glamorous. And so um, definitely God wants to use women uh, for amazing purposes. And I think that, you know, everyone is gifted differently. So Mm -hmm depending on the ways God has gifted you, you know, follow his lead Mm -hmm. as to how he wants you to lead. Now I think I'm just rambling. (laughs) No, you know, actually, I feel like it's the perfect place to end because I think that we underestimate sometimes the legacy of kindness, of Mm -hmm. just encouragement, of daily faithfulness in that those leave lasting impressions on the people you go to serve, your teammates, you know, the grocery store guy that you go to every week, you know, those Mm -hmm. things also can leave a legacy. And that's, I mean, that's what this podcast is about is just inspiring people to, to live in a way that maybe will give courage to other people. And, And we'll be surprised at the legacy that is left by others because of our small life and our faithfulness in one direction. And so, um, Caitlin, thank you so much for, for sharing, for being open with us about your experience. And, and honestly, it's just encouraging and inspiring because the truth is, is it's just, you kept going, you know, (laughs) you just keep, you just keep going in whatever season God has you and wrestling with him about what is leadership for me look like in this season, whether that is on a stage or at home or in a secular job, you know, Mm -hmm. and we touch on that. And that's something that a lot of people wrestle with is, you know, when do I say yes to working in a different capacity? And so, you know, I just, I so appreciate that. So thank you so much. No, thank you. I really appreciate what you guys are doing. It's such an encouragement to people all around the world. And yeah, so keep up the great work that you're doing for God's glory. Thank you so much. And and thank you everyone for joining us this this month. We know that this episode is the first in our 
series of topics that we want to start covering. And so this episode might be a little bit longer, but we think it's worth it. We hope you've enjoyed it. And we hope that you join us back here next month for the Velvet Ashes Legacy Podcast. Oh